Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Victor Bonacci. You can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Before we dive into episode 40, I want to bring you up to speed on a few of the events happening. Next week up in Seattle, the Agile Open Northwest kicks off once again. It's sold out, but there is a wait list. If you're lucky, maybe you can get on it. <laughs> AgileOpenNorthwest.org for more information. At the end of February, the 25th and 26th, there's an Agile Open San Diego. It's the first time that we're doing an Agile Open in San Diego. So it's a great opportunity if you're in the area to come down, check it out, see what it's all about. Go to AgileOpenCalifornia.com for more information. The Scrum Coaching Retreat put on by the Scrum Alliance this year is in San Diego. That's March 13th through the 16th. You can go to scrumalliance.org for that. And just as a special plug, I'm very excited about this year's Scrum Coaching Retreat. Uh, tickets still are on sale. Plenty of tickets are there. You do have to act fast if you want to get a, a good rate at the hotel. But, um, you know, I've talked about Scrum Coaching Retreats on and on. Not to diminish any of the other um, great conferences out there, uh, certainly not throwing shade at Agile Opens. I love participating in the open spaces as well. But the coaching retreat is something very different, very unique, and extremely valuable. So I wholeheartedly recommend checking out the Scrum Coaching Retreat in San Diego, March 13th through the 16th. Go to scrumalliance.org to find out more information. This year, alas, we will not be hosting the Agile Coach Camp US West. We put that on hold. As you know, I was a co-organizer of that last year. We just couldn't, could not make the date work. The very same weekend that we are planning to do the Coach Camp is the weekend of the Global Scrum Gathering in Orlando, Florida. So April 18th through the 20th is the gathering in Orlando. I will be there. So if you're planning on attending, shoot me a line and let me know. Um, I will be presenting this year. My topic is on pair coaching, and I will be presenting with Scott Dunn. Hope that you can make it out to some of these events, or maybe there's something in your own neighborhood that you um, you'll be participating in. Let me know what's going on. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and become part of the conversation. And now, let's get to episode 40. So welcome again to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 40 of the Agile Coffee Podcast. Who would have guessed, guys, that we would have made it 40? Congratulations. Way to go, Vic. We have reached the uh, the middle-aged, uh, hopefully we're still in our infancy, though. And I hope this doesn't start a crisis. Right? <laughs> yeah, this exactly. Starting a... <laughs> yeah, that we want to avoid. So we are once again here at the Hilton Cape Ray at a, in the restaurant Chandler's, uh, which is a fantastic, this is kind of our go-to place now when we... When we talk with Zach, I know it's... You can't beat it, right? It's right at Ponto Beach in Carlsbad, overlooking the beautiful Pacific Ocean. It's not a bad spot to talk. It's a great location. And I am once again joined by uh, two of my best friends here. We've got Larry Lawhead. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Glad to be here. Larry can be reached on Twitter at Larry Lawhead. Zach Boniker. Good morning, Vic. Thanks again for coming down to, to chat with me. No problem. My pleasure. And Zach is on Twitter at Zach Boniker. I am Vic Bonacci. I can be reached... On Twitter, at Agile Coffee. So uh, we've got a number of cards in front of us. So I am going to time box our talks here to five minutes, uh, adding potentially three minutes. Could give us up to eight minutes, which leads us right into our first topic, which is that of eight-minute talks. Zach, 
All right, well, let me set How the stage. How profound is that? Yeah. So if there's any listeners that aren't really familiar with the eight-minute talk concept, it's, it's this idea of being able to share something that's very, you know, meaningful, useful in a period of time that's easily digestible. So you need to be clear, concise. It's kind of this idea that something that's very valuable to you, you should be able to, on a whim, give an eight-minute talk and, and, and people should get it. And this is powerful from coaching because there's times where you may be um, just – coaching people, coaching teams, facilitating and, and holding their space open and realize they need to be, they need material to latch onto. So if you can diverge from that quickly and in eight minutes, give them something that they can use, that's, that's very effective. So that's what I wanted to explore with you. One, do you, do you have eight minute talks in your arsenal? Mm-hmm. And then if not, or if, even if you do, what talks are important for an agile pra- practitioner and how might that uh, carry over across roles and maybe um, areas of interest and expertise? What do you think? You know, I don't have a eight minute. I never timed them, so I don't think they're eight minutes. I believe they're much shorter. But I have kind of an arsenal of why, why um, points over uh, time. That's always a fight, you know. So I've got a, a canned speech that goes pretty quick. Uh, the popularity of uh, Agile Scrum is another one. You have a lot of companies getting on board. It almost is now becoming kind of a, a fad, which I'm a little skeptical about. But, you know, Microsoft made a huge, is making a huge transition to Scrum. So that that's another little speech I have that really sets people on fire. Um, and then, oh, yes, and the power of uh, um, the wisdom of crowds. Um, that's another. I read the book. We'll talk about that later maybe. But... Um, have you ever tried to give any of those talks to keep it at an eight-minute? Oh, yes. Uh, usually it's a lot quicker than just eight minutes. I think I can do it in three. But So I'd like to know more about uh, is eight too long? Is it too mm. short? Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I've got a couple of topics that I can throw out there too, but I want to first dive into like the science of eight minutes. Like what, what is magical about eight minutes? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I like, wish I had the answer. Like why, did you come up, <laughs> why did you come up with eight minutes? Uh, or, or, or is it not your... Yeah, so right, it, it isn't it isn't my topic. I, I am nowhere near smart enough to have really realized the science behind eight minutes. It's how it was taught to me. Mm. Um, as I was learning coaching, it was it was you know taught and trained that if you invite the if you invite or 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 are asked to deviate from coaching, to step out of a coaching, holding a space for conversation, and go into teaching, go into mentoring. Yeah, you want to do that quickly efficiently empower that person so that you can then return back to the coaching arc, right? So you don't want to go on for 20 minutes. You just want to give them what they need to know quickly and briefly so that they can think about that and then return back to the progression of their thought process. Maybe eight minutes is scientific. That's a good question. I have to look it up. But I know in in my own practicing, I've found it very difficult to stick to eight minutes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, And so eight just seems like a good limit to really challenge myself and, and be able to, you know, be clear, be concise, mm-hmm. but also be educational to inform, you know, instead of just rambling on, you really have to think about how you're going to send, spread your message over these eight minutes to be absorbed and be effective. So part of the reason I ask about eight minutes is I've been in Toastmasters, which is a, a popular public speaking um, organization throughout the world. And they've got typically... Um, Shorter speeches that are one to two minutes that are impromptu, table topics. Mm-hmm. Then they've got uh, longer speeches that are typically four to six minutes. Um, but eight is kind of outside of their typical range. They they stress kind of the, the focus on like four to six minute or five to seven minute, which is just a little bit under eight. But I have seen people always wanting to run longer, even when they have these these four to six minute or five to seven minute speeches. They, they feel like they have more to say. 
And when you're planning for an eight-minute talk in Toastmasters, anyway, it feels like you're planning for a lot. But once you get up there, um, I think maybe you're finding that you do have more to say, or you do want to, you do need more time. So eight minutes to me sounds like it's it's a good um, it's a good length. And I and I also have another part of me, my intuition, that says eight minutes might be good. Um, because the, the Pecha Kucha, however yep. it's pronounced, yeah. is I think about a six minute talk. So it's just under eight minutes. And, um, and I put a, a Pecha Kucha together a year or so ago for one of the scrum gatherings, I think it was. And, um, it also kind of felt a little bit rushed. Like I, I had, in order to fully cover the content, I, I fit it into six and a half minutes, but my pace was pretty brisk. Um, and I, and I felt a bit rushed. I think if it was eight minutes, it'd probably be more ideal. But um, but I think I think that the eight minute talks, the eight minute length of talks, uh, there's something there, and I'd like to find out more about the science. What makes it uh, ideal at eight eight minutes? You know, we've been talking about eight minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. You know, I don't think a 120 seconds here is going to matter maybe too much. But I think mm-hmm. the point um, that that we've really been 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 hitting is that we should be. As, as educators, as coaches, as facilitators, as teachers, whatever word feels right for the moment that you're working with people, mm-hmm. we should be able to use a short period of time to transfer knowledge that further empowers them, right? And that's probably not going to happen in 30 minutes. If nobody wants to sit and listen. So whether it's eight minutes, it's six minutes, I think as practitioners, we should have a couple topic or, or, or concepts that we feel very good yeah, at passing that knowledge to in a short period. Well, right out of your pocket, you've prepared it and, and, and you're able to speak on it. Like you said, you can, you can expand it out longer or make it shorter if you need to. Um, kind of goes to the idea of like, uh, elevator pitches. Elevator pitches are supposed uh-huh. to be like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, something like that. So if you have a number of elevator pitches, pitched versions of these talks, and then those could learn, uh, kind of turn into a longer version, an eight-minute talk, and then maybe could turn into kind of a full one-hour, uh, a lunch and learn, like a fifty-minute lunch and learn or something like that. Q and A session. I give, um, you know, as, again, as as a just an overall mm-hmm. agile practitioner, I have an eight-minute talk around what is agile. So imagine we were sitting mm-hmm. at a, you know, we were, you know, the three of us, we were talking here today at this podcast, and somebody comes by and says, "I hear you talking about agile. What is agile?" Mm-hmm. Cool. I could give you an eight-minute talk. Quick, concise. I don't want to say profound, but I I believe informative. That the person would leave and say, "Oh, I get it." Not you know get all the details, but but now understand. Oh, that's something that I could look into and under and, and start to learn for myself. I also focus on organizational development and mastery. So I have a talk around the difference between process level thinking and systems level thinking, right? And why that's meaningful and where the differences are. And I try to convey that 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 strategy of thought in an eight minute talk. Those are the two that I have in my arsenal memorized that I can pull out and give effectively at any time. So, so what else, do, I mean, what, what, what might you think of or what roles do we do that we feel maybe as advice to listeners, maybe we, maybe you, if you're a product owner, you should have these two things or three things or whatever as eight minute talks memorized, ready to go. Product owner, I think you need to know how to um, help a team and yourself decompose ambiguity to specific stories and you uh, you need to definitely have a elevator pitch you need to have a uh, eight minute talk on that because that's your meat and drink decomposition is how you live mm. and yeah the scrum master can help and so the team has to get into it but i think a good product owner is a person that's constantly breaking things down in their head so, so an eight minute talk around the idea of slicing by value yes. rather than perhaps by work exactly and understand okay, okay. yeah prioritization so, so this is a talk designed for a team 
Yeah, or uh, your boss comes to you and says, okay, we've hired you now as a product owner. We only did it because we only did it because uh, uh, it's on our list of things to do this year to do a scrum team. So I don't know what we're doing with you. So what are you going to do? And so one of the first things I'd say is I'm going to take ambiguity. I'm going to make it specific. I'm going to take your vision. We're going to turn it into reality and we're going to break it down into manageable pieces. And I'm going to be able to report back to you on a weekly basis or however long your sprints are on the on the ad, um, progress. And not only that, but at the end of each period, we're going to be able to show you what we've done. So that would be my eight-minute speech as a product owner to my boss. That's useful. I, I like the idea of thinking in terms of um, what audiences you would you would present them to. Um, just different ways to categorize these because I haven't been um, aware that I have these eight-minute talks, but I, I just in sitting here talking, I know I've got three yeah. um, that I refer to pretty often, and I probably have more now that you're kind of opening my mind to, oh, yeah. When I talk to these stakeholders, I probably have a different talk too. Um, so you had mentioned what is agile. I've got something more prescriptive, which is like what is the Scrum machine and how does it work? Where mm-hmm. I can go through the, so the three roles, the three yeah. artifacts, the so ceremonies. An, an eight minute talk to inform on Scrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it's more the how. Uh, it touches upon the why, but it's more the how. You know, yeah. kind of the uh, pretty traditional um, prescriptive overview of scrum um another one is lean coffee so that was the pachaka show that i talked oh, yeah. about that's a good one yeah. um yeah. I, I could give uh, an eight minute overview on lean coffee and then um just start a lean coffee for the next 52 minutes of of a of a session if i was doing a workshop on it or or have them go an hour and a half or whatever they want to do um but yeah lean coffee i can introduce what it is how to set it up where it started from why we like it what are some uses for it eight minutes and and that's a good one and then another one that i do um refer to more often is is that of just multitasking and the cost of context switching oh yeah um and yeah. Uh, there's a few studies that uh that i bring up in there and, and draw a couple of graphs on a whiteboard or, or on a flip chart or something like that and that's always something that's very helpful especially when the team is thinking well you know we can overload our work in progress we could do more things and i try to back them off that ledge and <laughs> I say, well, have you thought about this i suspect a work in process or a, a, a con- you know, that, that, that type of talk would be very useful for teams, management, for a variety of people, even product leaders, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good idea for a talk. Um, I, I practice these regularly too, by the way, just for listeners. I, I will take my two that I feel I want to have mastered and I'll practice them once or twice a month, uh, record myself and just watch myself again to continue to understand. Is my message clear? Is it mm-hmm. concise? Um, I think that just helps keep, keep us grounded as speakers, as coaches, as, as help, you know, people who want to help. Um, I think regularly practicing these things too, just, you know, keeps us in sync. Right. So I love that idea. Um, a great idea. Yeah, I, I love it. I want to talk more about it, but I think, uh, we've hit our eight minute time and, uh, actually, and then some. <laughs> Good topic. All right, next. Our eight-minute time for the eight-minute talk. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> the next card, Larry, is yours. It says, why companies lose scrum focus. So what's that about? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the uh, the company I'm currently contracting with. And one of the reasons they brought me on board was to help them rediscover their scrum focus. They, they've, uh, I believe it was, uh, they started eight years ago or longer on, on their scrum journey. And it worked for them for quite a while. And then uh, it got all messed up. What does what does messed up look like? This yeah. combobbled. What does that what does that, that look like? That means that uh, they had daily stand-ups. No, well then they didn't have daily stand-ups, and then it, they had stand-ups at different times, and then stand-ups all of a sudden became thirty minutes instead of fifteen minutes. Team sizes b- uh, blew way out of 
proportion. There were lots of really big ones. And then all of a sudden, uh, they allowed new things to come into their sprints. And so, all oh, let's extend the sprint. Extend the sprint. Well, yeah. Let's extend the sprint by two weeks. Like concepts that you've never heard of before. Mm. But yet, we're under pressure, so let's not have a retrospective. And it, and it, just got, it doesn't take long, and then you've got a big mess. And so, they wanted to kind of uh, retune the instrument. And I, I can see how and why. That, and I, the, one of the issues here, I think, is that... When you go into Scrum, you have to have a pretty good idea of why you want to go into Scrum. And this might touch on another card that we have, but uh, I think that is uh, one reason why companies lose focus because Agile Scrum is not just these meetings that you do, but it's a, it's a, it's a philosophy and it's a mentality that you embrace and it's a culture. Everyone talks about that. It's a culture that the corporate, at the, that has to be uh, embraced at the corporate level, which is one of the big challenges these days. Uh, so you lose focus because you don't you don't really have a, con- uh, a good concept of why we got into this in the first place, and then all you see is Scrum is a bunch of meetings, and then once you start fighting with the meeting concept, is do we really want to meet every day? Do, does it really have to be 15 minutes? We have so many things to talk about today. Uh, we just have to extend it. Then you put stuff into the daily standup. doesn't even belong there. No retrospective, so you don't get any improvement. Well, why did we want to improve in the first place? It's, ah, and then it really gets messed so up. So you're talking about a specific case where you're at now, where the, the organization lost their focus on Scrum, and that was before you came on board. So yes. you weren't able to identify whether it was a, a one key activity that kind of flipped them over or, or just kind of a gradual erosion that slippery slope that oh, we yeah. talk about. I ask a lot of questions. But, but which do you think it would have been? Would it have been kind of an overnight thing or more of a gradual erosion? It was for this particular company or this particular team, uh, it was a gradual evolution. That's what I would expect, too. I'd expect it to be pretty gradual. Unless you had a key member, like, who was a champion of Scrum, a coach, or a really good engaged Scrum master who suddenly left the company yeah, that or moved too. out of a role. Yeah. That, that, that also happened. So that didn't help the situation. But yeah. now, I suspect in hearing it, too, that... Um, since you mentioned that they had been operating, working this way together for a long while, um, I would guess that as they stop the practices, that's when the behavior, basically that their behavior hadn't yet been changed as a result yes. of the practices. They were dependent on the things they were doing to help inform their behavior, and they hadn't truly started to grasp and understand that, you know, culturally we want to operate this way. They were allowing the practices to let them work this way. So it's almost the case of, you know, I said, a, 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 a student learning something that, you know, hasn't really gotten all the, the principles behind it, stops practicing and expects that they can do it. And again, without the practice, they haven't mastered what's really driving it. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. So you say you ask a lot of questions. What What's your thought pattern around the question, the types of questions that you ask, and who you ask, and and when you first come on, like, can you talk about that? Like, how, what's your approach to asking questions? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question about questions because yeah. you have to be kind of careful, in my opinion. You don't want to go into a new situation. Like uh, the know-it-all, you don't want to get that reputation at all. You do, then you're shot in the foot. You're 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 lame at the at the outset, and so you want to avoid that at all costs. So you have to kind of go in as a as a learner, and so then it all depends on how you formulate your questions. So, so what I began to do, I sent a couple of emails out to a few people and said, "Hey, can you tell me about?" What is your goals here in Scrum? That was one of my first things, and probably wasn't the best question because it came back without much of a goal. And then I had, okay, so then I, I didn't get what I wanted. So I said, okay, what is it that I really want? Well, okay, let's talk about the history. 
And so then I just started asking team members, the ones that had been here for a long time. This is a company that has a lot of people, a good percentage of the team have been around for 10, 15, maybe some of the guys have been there for 20 years, if you can imagine that. And uh, so I asked them, and then they finally, you know, I, I kept having to ask in different ways, but then I got the story more or less. There was a guy who champions Scrum a long time ago, and he left. And then once he left, the kind of the, 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 since they didn't really understand the why of why they're doing everything, then it was very easy for them to, to, to water down the things. Because if it's only just a bunch of meetings, then what's the point? Yeah, like I was saying earlier, the the what they were doing was keeping them in line. They hadn't yet transferred to a place where they knew why they were doing it. Yeah, and they exactly. just let that you know inform their behavior. They were dependent on what they were doing to keep yeah. them in sync. Yeah, and they, I, were, they were losing the effectiveness of Scrum and still being very inefficient too with all the meetings. So they were, exactly. very beginner, they were yeah, at a beginner right. stage. Yeah. I, like. I believe here there's a real important lesson for uh, Scrum trainers or people who introduce company to Scrum, whether you are official trainer or not. And all Scrum Master is always a trainer. You have to constantly be be pressing and explaining in, in these eight-minute talks or your three-minute elevator speech. You have to constantly be teaching the why, the why, the why. Because if a person understands the why, everything else falls into place. Mm. So that's been my my follow-up approach to this is uh, I've collected a number of at least two-minute talks, you know, because everybody's in a big hurry. And I, <laughs> so I constantly explained why, and, and I've gotten some, some attention, and, and uh, some people go, boy, yeah, I need to hear more. I'd like to have, let's go to lunch sometime. And then I can start doing the eight-minute or the 30-minute talk. But uh, it, if I, the more I press on the why, the more you can see the light bulbs go off. And then there's a sort of a self-correcting effort that takes place. Now that I know the why, the other scrum masters are starting to try to keep their daily stand-ups to 15 minutes. And so it, it, it has sort of an indirect positive effect if they understand the why. I think even, even in understanding why, as the, your topic is written, why do companies lose their focus? I think even in the presence of, of really understanding why, there's other factors that can people away from their focus so um, you know the answer I, I, I don't think there is one answer to your question so I'm curious as you've continued to ask questions and investigate with this current employer where are you at today why I mean you talked about the departure of, of very key champions but why did this company lose focus more specific than oh well they just didn't uh, yeah. understand the why so yeah. why why did they I, th- I believe be there's, the first thing there's, target? there's a there's a tension here in in this particular company that is very difficult and I personally don't have the answer for it. I do know that you can build interfaces between A and B, but they have, have the a, answers yet. They have a huge <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have a huge bureaucratic process and that this bureaucratic process follows the traditional waterfall method to to the key. Which is great. It's like dude, you know you you hardly even find companies following waterfall principles as <laughs> even though they're complex and all that, you know, they just wing it still. You know, I've been with a lot of startups and they talk about waterfall. They they don't they don't even do it. But these guys really get serious about it. All right. So when you find out the why, let us let know. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> let you know yes. Put it in a bottle and I think um, part of it is that they're they're intimidated by this big bureaucracy but i'm not sure i couldn't tell yeah. for sure i think there's uh there's a lot more to be said then on, on the why and every yeah. i think every every institution you're in has their own why oh definitely and likely more than one so definitely um next card zach is yours power of metaphor i love metaphor 
I, I think it's a wonderful way to to get people to visualize a lot of the topics and concepts that, that we find valuable and meaningful. Um, and I found that metaphor can be a, a language that everyone understands. So I wanted to, to talk about what, what ideas are you have you used metaphor with your teams, what you do? And I'll kind of set it up by saying the go-to metaphor that I use with teams, um, I learned from, from Lisa Adkins, and it's the idea of the high-performing tree, right? So your roots of the tree have the, 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 the core, you know, scrum or agile-related, um, you know, values, you know, focus, openness, courage, respect, and commitment, um, and as you have those, if you're strong in your roots, the tree will grow and it will grow and it will start to, you know, create leaves and branches. And these are things like collaboration, you know, and then ultimately, if everything is strong in the roots and then the tree is blooming and growing, it will bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And these fruits are the things that, you know, that's what you pick from the tree. That's what you want. That's why you planted it, you know, to get things like, you know, the, the, the team can achieve anything. I think. So it's this metaphor, right, that that helps me connect with teams and saying, this is what we want to create. When we talk about high performance, this is what it could mean to us. Right. And, and, and it's just a way that you hang it up in the wall and people can refer to it. It's just metaphor is powerful. Mm-hmm. So I use that with teams and I'm curious, have you used something similar? And if not, or maybe you have a, whatever, we could have a conversation around what other metaphor comes to mind. What ideas might we be able to generate right here that I could even use with my next team? That tree metaphor is solid and it goes back and it's documented in a few places. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've used it in a few places and I think it might be worth bringing out again at the, at the new place I'm at just because once once it's not in mind anymore, then people tend to forget it as we were just talking about why, why we lose Scrum uh, in the past. So keeping it always present. Um, I love that tree metaphor. That's a good one. Um, let me give that thought. What else do we use? I know I, Tobias. I, Tobias Meyer has has used the foundation, you know, foundation, and allowing to build a foundation to see what can emerge. You know, mm-hmm. so, so I mean, that's that's been used. I, I use the martial arts uh, seafood, uh, the, the teacher a lot. Uh, Sorry, did you say the seafood teacher? The, no, the seafood. Seafood oh, is so okay. Yeah, I, I was, seafood. I was, I was, I was thinking, with you oh, there too. Awesome. I was like, so wow, like we get shrimp burritos. It's like a salmon. <laughs> There's a shrimp burrito uh, metaphor. What's, what's seafood? The seafood is the teacher, the instructor, and then mm. there's these three stages you go through to get to that, you know. And so I keep telling people, you know, let's just get the the foundation down right first, you know, because and I like martial arts anyhow. I've, I've practiced the martial arts now for probably six maybe seven years until my recent injury that i'm on the bench but um i like that because it's very interesting it it, it, there is a progression to the martial arts but there's a progression to any kind of learning and so i like to use the you know the shuhari thing a lot because hey listen you know we're, we're just walked into the gym just now and we're just learning the, we're just learning the, the mechanics of it. So let's get the mechanics down first. Because, you know, and uh, we may talk about it a little later on, but the, people want to jump ahead. They want to become an expert before they even know their foundations and stuff. So mm-hmm. I use this metaphor a lot to, to protect people about that. So it gives them a vision about where we want to go, but it pulls them back a bit and says, let's get this done first. So I like, I like doing that. It's probably my standard metaphor for right now so i'm open to learn more <laughs> more I, metaphors i'm sure i use quite a few every day uh and, and i just can't bring too many of them to mind but one of one of the common ones that people know about is that of the chicken and the pig 
right? How, how you have the, uh, and we don't, we don't talk about it quite so much because, uh, it's kind of fallen out of favor, but, but that goes back to the idea of that we can use these very simple concepts to convey, um, a, a pretty powerful message. And it, once people hear the story, or it's not even really a story, it's only a few sentences, uh, it's pretty easy to understand when you say, oh, you know, you don't have any skin in the game, so therefore, um, you know, that's that's why we ask you to maybe not be present or, or not participate in certain ceremonies, like a, a retrospective, things like that. Oh, interesting. Um, not committing, uh, your neck isn't on the line type of thing. Um, what other metaphors are there out there? Well, I've had, I, I, you know, I, I haven't used any other specific metaphors. Oh, and mm-hmm. I tried this this one time that was successful. Um, I've been thinking about, you know some some situations or scenarios that might work at both team level and organizational level. You know concepts. A hot air balloon. Hot air balloons. Good. Hot air balloon. Uh-huh. I mean, what what could I come up with around what makes up the basket and the balloon? Mm. And how can oh, I? Try? I don't know. A good one. So I don't know. Oh you yeah, know. sure. Like I, the, but I'm just I'm just visualizing it. So what what, well, what keeps it anchored to the ground? And then once you let it go, what is that? And then it soars and what? Yeah, is there in, a way I can tie that in? In retrospectives, we use um, the speedboat or the sailboat. Right. Oh yeah, these uh, are that also device. Boats, yeah. that, that's a metaphor, right? The anchors and engines yeah, type are. of thing. Uh, peaks and valleys. We use that for retrospectives as well. Um, I was I was also thinking about what about what about somebody mm-hmm. who is in a forest. Oh yeah, yeah. Sitting in a forest, all that she can see around her are trees mm-hmm. and lots of trees, and it's overwhelming. And there's some, you know, you're in a thing for, but you're able to get to the edge of this forest, and you start to rise up a mountain. And mm-hmm. as you get to, you know, about the tree level, mm-hmm. your perspective changes. You can yeah. still see there's more trees out there, and you can see the depth of it, but there's still a mountain in front of you. What does it look like when you get to the top? What mm-hmm. allows you to get to the top? What do you now see? Now you see the forest below. You see the rivers beyond. You couldn't see this. Yeah. Is that a competitive advantage? Now you see the industry in a different light. As a team, do you now see the potential for learning in a different light? I don't know. Is there some sort of metaphor about climbing out of a forest, climbing a mountain? Absolutely. Can I tell Absolutely. And that's, that's a great one. Um, that reminded me of um, uh, the levels of agile planning or oh, yeah. progressive elaboration. Like I, I teach on... Um, you know, how to break stories down the closer you get. And, and people talk about the iceberg or the pyramid, but you said forest, and I always like to equate it as you're on a on a forest path, and it's foggy, and you can't see uh, trees so far out in the distance, but you can see what's right in front of you. So you know how to course correct for the, the immediate path, and you can maybe get a sense of what's a few yards ahead of you, but, but further out, you just know that you have to go up the hill or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. I would have so used good. that metaphor, Vic. I'm stealing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what we're missing a little bit in mm-hmm. some of these ideas though is I think the refined nature of, for example, that mm-hmm. high performing tree, the roots, mm-hmm. the grow of the leaves, the bear of the fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm missing that. But I, I like these ideas. I think if any listeners are hearing us talk about, you know, again, the power of metaphor as the imagery appears in your head, if, if, yeah. if you feel like you can relate this in a meaningful, a progressive way to a team, to an, organiva- to an organization, even an individual, yeah. um, you know, email me or, or connect with me. In our last me, podcast, we were talking about coaching and we talked about the coach and, and mm-hmm. we talked about sports as a metaphor or, or the, the army or the, the military as sure. a metaphor for that too. And we found that sometimes metaphors only work so far and then they start to break down. So you can't really rely on the metaphor always to be uh, to be useful for the whole nine yards. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. But um, but but I think these that we're bringing up for the most part they have they offer really compelling uh, learning examples ways ways to internalize a concept. So well, I'd good. like I'd like to to refine a metaphor 
to the I think I think the the real clear usefulness that for example the tree has the high performing tree. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you guys ever have any ideas on the stuff we shared or you feel like you've refined it. Let me know so I can can try it out with my next team. Well, um, we're we're three topics in, and I want to remind the listeners to reach out to us on Twitter by using the hashtag Tell Agile Coffee, so you can tell us about any any specific metaphors that you use or how you use metaphors in general. You can go back and uh, tell us, you know, why you think companies might lose focus when it comes to Scrum. Uh, is there a tipping point or is it a, just a gradual erosion? Um, how can you keep them from from sliding backwards? As well as the eight-minute talks. Do you have any eight-minute talks that you use and, and why would you use something like that? But I've already, I, I have to be completely transparent with you guys. I, I've already got um, in my notes here some actions for myself to come up with a list of, of my yeah. talks and start start rehearsing them and as well as uh, I wanted to come up uh, Larry you were talking about why companies lose scrum focus and I want to do the same thing how can I um, create triggers that allow me to watch for when when do we start backsliding how can we identify what that might look like uh, and as for metaphors like I said they, they come out they flow like a river <laughs> all the time <laughs> so I want to just start like fishing from that river That's in good. my daily advice and my daily work and maybe just start writing them down and just keep a metaphor log because there's got to be hundreds if not more that 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 we do use and it's just none of the none of the I, I feel like none of the really big ones are coming to my mind right now uh, so instead I'm throwing out the smaller ones and maybe that's all we need are, are the small ones because they provide quite enough uh, power so our next card says what have you been reading lately and Larry this one's yours so what have you been reading lately yeah. Larry well I have a you know, from Amazon, I have an Audible um, subscription. Have I've had it for years, and so uh, I listen constantly through the morning when I'm doing my routine. I'm listening to my book, and now I have a really short commute, so that kind of put the kibosh on that. So mm-hmm. I, I listen over the weekend a lot while I'm say cleaning or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but I've been able to knock out some really interesting books lately. Um, uh, the Toyota Way by Jeffrey Liker has right. been great. I really believe. And if I sound like I'm on the soapbox, you'll have to forgive me. But I believe every scrum master should know the TPS. Why? Because there's, that's the background of what we're doing. If you don't understand the Toyota production system, then you've missed the, the reason for Kanban. You've missed the reason for self-improvement. You've missed the reason for, for your stand-ups, you know, walking the, uh, walking the, the aisle like they do, you know. Um, so at any rate, uh, these are great books. The Toyota Way. By Jeffrey Liker and the Toyota Way to Lean Leadership, which is also a very good book about mentoring. Uh, also from Jeffrey Liker and Gary a. L. Uh, Convis. Then I read a couple of quick books on the spirit of Kaizen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's from Leah Ann Hirschman. That's a good book. The Lean Startup, of course, is a classic from Eric Reese. And uh, I read another really quick one, Kaizen, the Kaizen Guide. It's a real quick book on... If you don't have a lot of time to read, and I, I think scrum masters, especially scrum trainers, should be reading all the time. So get used to it. <laughs> yeah, reading is, is so it important. Sets you reading, apart. reading is just one of the one of the ways that we we go about improving ourselves and informing ourselves. And going back to a, a couple cards back, how do we lose focus? Like if we're not always adding to our our knowledge, and then then we ourselves are kind of losing. I think uh, losing a lot of what it is that makes us. Um, effective in the jobs that we do. So, um, so you've just listed a few there, and I just want to remind all the listeners that we'll have a list of these on the show notes. If you go to agilecoffee.com slash episode 40, uh, you'll find a list of all of, uh, all of these books and, uh, links to where you can find them. Vic, can I 
add something. Really. Just yeah, jump what, in. What you said, um, I, I believe it's true that um, it's important for us to always pursue, you know, our knowledge, our growth. As agile practitioners, we should value value learning. And while I I I, I think that reading can convey a lot of that, mm-hmm. not everybody enjoys reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, and yeah. and you know embraces it. And I've actually, you said this, and it reminded me of a conversation that I had recently with somebody who just shared with her, or shared with me her, oh, what was her, her guilt? That she knows that she should be reading these books, but yet she just doesn't. And I told her, you know, there, there's really no reason to feel guilty. Do you, do you learn? Do you research? She goes, I'm out there all the time, you know, reading smaller articles or, or, or thinking on my own, doing my own experiments. I said, that's wonderful. Don't feel guilty about a lack. While your colleagues may have read a certain book, you should never f- feel um, like you're less intelligent than they are because you can't quote exactly from you know um, some book that they read, that, 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 that you can't do that. Because I know I can't, and I actually used to feel the same way. Like, I, I envy the fact that that person read that book and can actually remember the quote because yeah. I couldn't do it, and I, no. don't, and I don't learn that way. But yet I do read. But I just thought that, you know, you mentioned about how important it was to continue learning and we're talking about books. Mm-hmm. This this may be one way to advance your knowledge. And mm-hmm. for those that it resonates with, we should read these books. For others, maybe it's not. And that's I, okay. You know, the Patrick Lencioni uh, classic, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, so I'd heard the concept of the book and I thought, wow, this is great. I need to probably read it. The first uh, version of that book I picked up was the uh, the manga, the the Japanese comic style version of the oh, book. Oh, really? And I read it as, as a comic book, more or less. You know, it was pretty much the same text, only in in comic form. I was like, oh, this is a fable. Oh, I could read that. So <laughs> once I heard it was a, an actual story instead of a textbook, I went and I picked up the um, the actual book itself, and I and I read through that, and it's a quick read. So so I think that the format of the book helps. So so once I know that it's um something that's easier to digest and it has a powerful message and it's not filled with too much um then i'm, I'm much more easy uh, much more willing to kind of dive into it and i've went back and i've picked up uh to ask to answer your question lately um on new year's day we went to a used bookstore and i picked up four of lencioni's books for five bucks a piece Whoa. at a used bookstore so so his uh lessons for the ceo the silos the death by meeting and and, and the five dysfunctions of the team um and, and i've I'm through two and a half of those. If not, um, I'll be done with the death. I think I am done with meetings. So I'm done with all three of those. Um, and that's been great. And I love it because it's kind of the same message he repeats yeah. book after book, but it reinforces it from a slightly different angle, which I appreciate um, as well. I, I have something else to say. I'll come back to it because I lost it momentarily. But well, I can I can yeah. go then on what yeah. have I been reading lately? Yeah, please do. <laughs> I don't have the list uh, that you have, Larry, because again, reading reading for me is is right in in between. Um, but my two books I've had for two distinct purposes. One, just falling back on to reiterate strong messages for me because it's been a while since I've read it and I feel like I want to get grounded with the basics again just to ensure that I'm really there, right? And that's been Coaching Agile Teams by Lisa Adkins. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's not a... It's well known. You, you know, I'm going to interrupt you there. I, I've been reading that um, at, at where I'm at now. I just started four weeks ago, oh. and and they bought everyone in the department. Every developer I see 
has that book on their desk. Oh. As well as coaching uh, agile teams, coaching agile oh. teams, and all the scrum masters have it. Developers have it. Testers have it. They love that book, and so I've been rereading it. And I wanted to reach out to Lisa as well, and I, I just haven't yet before this podcast. So now I'll have to before this goes live, and thank her for writing that book because there are some gems in there. Agreed. And and I, I'm probably on my third kind of iteration reading through it, and I'm finding stuff that maybe I just paid no attention to before. It didn't it didn't affect me. Yeah. As it does before, Happens and that's, to me too. that's what I love about books is you can read them again and pick something up totally brand new. So mm-hmm. now that I yep. totally distracted no, no, you, no, no, it's yeah. great. It, it's it's a good reminder of why that book is a it's a powerful book. It's I don't want to say it's basic, um, but it's it really just speaks to to really grounding principles that yeah. you know, I think we need. So uh, refreshing myself on that, and then the other is a um, mental challenge book for for me especially given. Um, that reading can be difficult for me to really give my, my full presence to, and that's The Art of Thought by Graham Wallace. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, so this was a book. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, the Art of Thought was written, I, I believe, in 1920, 1919. Wow. Uh, maybe even early. Graham Wallace was a, a profound thinker for the era. It is written very scholarly. It is not an easy book to read. Mm-hmm. But it, the most simple, I think, um, overview I can give is if you imagine, say, you know, when 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 humans were were evolving, you know, and cavemen were running, you know, they were just running because they needed to. And now <laughs> here we are. Now here we are with people who run professionally in the Olympics, and they have running coaches. The correct, you know, arm format is that so that you maximize mm. your ability. Cavemen weren't thinking about that; <laughs> they were just doing. So, what what Wallace theorizes is, what if there is an art to thinking, hmm. in the same way that you train yourself to run. What do we know about the way we think such that we can be so present with the way that we are thinking to maximize its outcome? And it is deep and difficult to read, um, and but fascinating at the same time. So that's just been a, a challenge, and it's given me new insights into the way that, that, that we think. That's yeah. a great tip. So um, I had lost a, a train of thought before, and you just reminded me with the with the Graham Wallace book, you say how it's, it's very kind of a, a difficult, more difficult read, but totally worth it. And that reminded me of um, the book, uh, The Principles of Product Development Flow, the Reinertsen book. Right. Um, that one kind of goes against what I was saying earlier, how I, I'm drawn to the kind of the more fable-type stories, ones that are set up as, as something that's easy to digest, versus this one, which is a great book. I'm not, not throwing rocks against it at all, but I found that it's a very dense uh, book, very yeah. difficult to sit down and, and read um, many pages all at once because there's just so much there that... I- you want to wrap your head around. So. I'm on, I'm on my, my sixth read of that book. Wow. And my, my approach to it was the first time just read it. Just to say I've read it. Yeah. I, I absorbed yeah. one or two of them. <laughs> then read it again and try to get some real meat behind it. And then go through and read it and pick specific principles each time to really master them. Um, so I'm on my sixth read trying to really grasp certain things to where if I needed to, I could quantitatively explain them. Such mm-hmm. as you know, queuing theory, yeah, things like great that. Idea. So, I mean, I'm. This is what a four year journey or three year journey yeah. with this book, yeah. and I'm yeah. on my sixth read. It, it's that difficult. So I know yeah. what you mean by it, but it's a fantastic. So it's book. your topic. We should throw it back to Larry. Uh, you've probably got other books or anything that we've said that you. Yeah, wanna... one one book. Oh, there, another one is Leaders uh, Eat Last by Simon oh, Sinek. Every Scrum one, Master yes. has to read that book at least once yeah, or twice. Simon I Sinek. like reading books more than once to pick up on that, Zach, because. It it, it it gets it gets it into your head, and, and if it's a hard book. Go Simon's got a, a few TED, uh, at least one TED he's talk. I think he's got a lot of TED videos talks. out there. Yeah. Great, yeah. he's a great speaker. He's enjoyable. Yeah. But leaders eat last. Every scrum master has to read that book. 
that's for there, me. There is a TED talk on that specifically. There is, yes. Yeah. And that's how actually I picked it up. I, yeah. I got a link. Uh, Ted, you know, sends me a list, and it happened to be on there. I thought, i got to get that book. And then there, the one, I guess, is a pinnacle of what I've been reading lately is The Wisdom of Crowds by uh, oh, nice. James uh, Sorowski. hope I pronounced that correctly. That's right, yeah. The Wisdom of Crowds. And that has revolutionized how I think of teams. Why is that? Boy, it just set my hair on fire. The Wisdom of Crowds. And it's a, the idea, and I've been, I have a little elevator speech on this one yeah. for, for my teams. And every time anybody asks mm-hmm. me is that we're smarter as a team than any individual. And and then that ties in real nice with Kaizen because then every time we, we fail as a team, we learn as a team. And we can we can take from that then what lesson have we, what improvement uh, goal do I want to take out of that? So I've tied it together with Kaizen. Uh, the Wisdom of Crowds is, is an amazing book. It's how, um, it's like this. You know, you, you have, I think there's one uh, story in the book about uh, um, a fair back in the 19th century. Uh, and the people, or the participants are supposed to gauge the weight of the bull after it's been dressed. After, mm. you know, you tear him down and got mm. him out and everything. And they found that people who, the, the, uh, the crowd were, was able to guess more accurately the weight of that bull than the experts. You had then guys from slaughtering houses look at it and measure it and think about it and they came up with their estimates. These guys were pros. They dealt with carcasses all the time, right? Mm. And they should have known. But no, the old... And they asked everyone in the crowd... Yeah, the crowd goes, the okay, what do you think? And the crowd, were they were within, what, what one-eighth of the act, one-eighth of the actual weight and the other guys were way off. That's just one example. The book yeah. is full of these examples. Lots of statistics about what happens when you have people in it. You not only want a team, but you need a team that's diverse. Why do you want diversity? Because diverse teams are almost or are much more accurate than teams that all believe the same thing. And an interesting part that really shook me up kind of was if you have a group of people that think basically all the same way in the studies that they did, in every case that group was wrong. So there's some exceptions to it. So you want to mix up your your team. You want to have people on it that think differently. And you have to embrace this conflict almost that you have because that's where you come up with wisdom. Yeah. If the, everybody's um, singing the same same uh, song in the choir, then you're going to be wrong. Yeah, groupthink. And, and there's a famous case about, was it the Challenger explosion? I think one of the, oh, yeah. one of the space shuttles... Uh, was um was blamed on the, the the tragedy was blamed on groupthink. Everyone was going along with the same thing, and I think it was the the O rings or something uh, yes. was related to that, and and no one dared kind of go outside the groups uh, to have that that kind of debate about what might happen. Um, wow, yeah, good good stuff. Wisdom of crowds, and you know we were talking, Larry and I were talking before we started turning this on about um, mob programming because Woody's will be coming to my office next week to uh, kind of give give the office a rundown of what is mob programming and as a quick aside how awesome is that to have yeah. woody come and kind of have the have the organization say yes we can have all of our developers go for a full day to, to Whoa, focus on mob programming. i was quite happy uh, when he came back to southern oh, california <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah i mean but mob programming is the same thing you're talking about you know one developer by him or herself might be you know, very good at it and might find, you know, 80% of the things that they need to find in any code, but still there's going to be some percentage of bugs or, or inefficiencies that creep into the, the system. Uh, when you pair them up, when you have pair programming, you eliminate a lot of that. But, I mean, with mob mobbing, you know, three, four, five, six people, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's good stuff. 
Um, what have you been reading lately? Let us know using the hashtag on Twitter, Tell Agile Coffee, and uh, we'll add it to our book list. Again, our list is online at agilecoffee.com slash episode 40, and you can find all of that. We're going to tie off this episode, though, with uh, just a quick go-around. I want to kind of see, as it is still the beginning of the year, um, have you guys set any goals for yourselves, and uh, you know, do you have anything that you've got in mind for, for the new year? I, I call it new. It's, it's two weeks in, three weeks in already, but you know, you get the idea. And I'll, I'll start by saying that one book that I read in 2015, it's been a while now, is Essentialism, uh, Greg McKeon or McCowan, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name either, but um, but it's the art of stripping things out and, and focusing uh, on just what is essential for you. So so for me, one of my goals, um, continued goals for this new year is to remove things um, from, from my life. Um, as many followers of me and, and the podcast might realize, I was involved with the Agile Coach Camp U.S. West. Uh, we had a pretty successful camp in 2015, uh, but we've decided to eliminate that from from our um, our lives this year um, for a number of reasons. But by doing that, it releases a lot of that cognitive load that I might otherwise have. Always in the back of my mind, thinking, "Okay, what do I need to do to prepare for this camp and make it uh, excellent?" But now I I can kind of defer that thought and focus on some of my other goals for this year. So wanted to share it with you guys, see if you have any one or two goals you want to share with the listeners. And I have a goal. I'm working on, actively working on my major goal for this year. And, and as I look at, and again, going back to the the uh, martial arts metaphor, mm-hmm. um, the shuha-ri thing, I want to move from ha to ri. And reading these the you know these books from about the Toyota Way and the Toyota Way to Leadership, I see very clearly that... I'm not at that restate yet. I was thinking, am I or am I not? You know, they're very clear here that I'm not. And the reason why is I haven't mastered the art of asking questions. I'm still way too fast at giving solutions. Like, well, you know, best practice is this. And, you know, I'm really into scrum patterns. I think scrum patterns are extremely important. And every, again, every scrum master should know his patterns. But that's not it. I can't give you a solution. i got to make you think. And the only way that you're going to really learn is for me to ask questions, you know. And so I want to be a good question asker this year. So that's I'm really focused on that. I put after I read these two books about the Toyota process, the TPS. I really put the clamps on on my preachiness, so to speak. And I was already feeling uncomfortable about it. And I think it was just about that time in my evolution, if you will, to move to the next stage. So I'm going to become a good question asker this year. Great. I, I would say for that, start a podcast because that's all I do is I just ask questions <laughs> yeah. and I sit back and learn from you guys, from the that's wisdom good. of the crowds here. <laughs> oh, Vic, I don't want to do a competition with you. That's <laughs> a collaboration. That's a collaboration. That's right. Um, I don't have any goals. Um, well, I do. But, yeah, I don't know. There's something that's always been um, unsettling to me in setting goals, and I don't know how to describe it. I really don't. It almost feels like – no, no, no. I, I set goals because I didn't. I, I I feel like I need to because I didn't accomplish enough. I, I don't I, I don't know, and I don't know how to describe it. But I don't usually define a specific goal. I keep my eye on a goal that I pretty much have every year, which is to be able to at the end of the year look back and and 
and explain to myself and maybe somebody, if necessary, what I learned. Interesting. And that's all, right? Mm-hmm. Is I just want to be able to continue to grow and learn. And, and, and I feel like if I set a goal, it feels like, oh, I have this accomplishment and then, yay, I did it and it's final. I just want to be able to, to, to say if it's one thing or if it's a hundred things mm-hmm. that I can explain what I learned and why it was useful to me. Now, I do have a goal on the side. I, I, I would like to finally finish a number of talks that I've been working on and actually give them and start getting that going and, okay, mm-hmm. cool. But it isn't so much because I want to say I did the goal or have the accomplishment of, say, I spoke at some conference or I did. That has nothing to do with it. It's part of this commitment of learning that I'm trying to, to apply around better understanding, you know, who I am and, and, and my presence when I am talking to people so that I can understand that better in relation to the managers, the teams, the people um, that I work with and I coach. So it's just an additional way to amplify the feedback of, of who I am in working with people by looking at myself giving a talk. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, that does that would make sense. sense. Absolutely. That does. So, so I'm kind of with you in a sense. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of a resolution right. because once you once you break it, you lose the resolve. You know, one, if it's I'm going to eat better, I'm going to start running, I'm going to stop doing whatever, uh, and then you mix it up, and then you're like, well, I guess I failed. Well, time to give up. So I, I kind of shifted more to goals, and I think it's helped me out over the last um, you know several years or whatever. But um, but listening to you, I'm thinking maybe it should be more like areas of focus. Do I want to reevaluate my areas of concern? That's good. Uh, and, and maybe not, uh, maybe goals. I don't know if I'm ready to just give up on goals, but I, but I like the idea that you're, the picture that you're painting here about like areas of focus and growth, kind of areas where I want to, you know, for me personally, I'm interpreting it my own way, but, um, so for me, let me let me bring it back to me because it's all about me here. Right. The <laughs> That's, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I had said that I'm removing things, and, and but one of the things that I'm adding to this year is uh, um, kind of the the idea. And, and let me back up because I want to say in the past you and I, Zach, have talked about goals, and we talked about agile coffee and what is that, and and how can we develop the the concept of you know having more meetups, local community events uh, based around the idea of getting together like we are just now today over around a table with a bunch of cards and doing a lean coffee and talking about what's important to us. Um, so we've we've been building that out, and we've got Agile Coffees in San Diego. Paul started one. Uh, there's an Agile Coffee group now up in Los Angeles that started this year. So there's like four in the area now and, and maybe more uh, springing up that, that we don't know of. Um, as well as the podcast, like that was a goal I made two years ago and, and followed through on it and, and found out that I can, you know, sustain a certain level. So, so let's add something to it. Uh, and then I just have to, as I said earlier, kind of keep in check, like, what do I need to remove? If I am adding something to it, do I need to remove something as well? Um, I've been speaking a lot, so I, I got a, a speech, uh, a proposal into the Scrum Gathering this year, so I'll be speaking in Orlando. Um, Which is awesome, so congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. So, so that's, thank you, so that's um, that's kind of around my goal now, is like just to kind of build upon that, make make that the best, most valuable event that I can for the people who show up in Orlando in April, and um, and focus on that. Now one thing that I... I'm kind of evaluating or reevaluating is um, that of the goal of becoming a CST. So I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast before, but you and I talked about that. Um, and I think that you have something that you want to talk about training here coming up in a future podcast. Um, 
uh, stay tuned, listeners. But uh, but but someone did kind of um, push me to become a you know get my application in for the CST, uh, which would be interviewing in April. Um, I've decided at the last minute to not submit my application for this round because I want to make sure that I'm focusing my uh, my efforts in the right places, um, becoming just more confident and competent at you know knowing what it is that I want to talk about and how I want to best match that message to the audience. Um, so I've held off on, on the CST, but I think it is still a goal of mine to pursue the CST in, in the long run. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, before we wrap up, though, I did want to, um, since we talked about one event, just kind of go over some of the events that are coming up in our area once again. We said this at the beginning of the show, but I want to just re- remind people that we have uh, the Agile Open Northwest is in February, early February the 3rd through the 5th. Uh, Scrum Day San Diego is February 25th to the 26th. Um, the I'm, on, web- I'm on the organizing committee for that, and, and again, well, sponsorships and organizing mm-hmm. If you're in the Southern California area, since it's the first time we're doing it in San Diego, please come out. Please come out and support us. We want to get this going as a regular thing in San Diego. So uh, you can go to agileopencalifornia.com for more information there. Uh, the Scrum Coaching Retreat is in March. That's down in San Diego as well. ScrumAlliance.org is where you want to go to find out more about that. Uh, we mentioned canceling the Agile Coach Camp US West, uh, which was in April, the same weekend as the Global Scrum Gathering, which is also in April, April 18th to the 20th, uh, in Orlando, Florida. Um, that's where I'll be speaking. You can go to scrumalliance.org for more information there. I wanted to thank Zach. I wanted to thank Larry for being here and joining me for a fantastic morning of Agile and coffee. Um, thanks guys. It's always fun. Thank yeah. you. Great time. Thanks, Vic. Join us again here and uh, enjoy your coffee with friends.